Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Long Story Short podcast with myself, your host, Vicky Cornick. On today's episode, I chat to the incredibly knowledgeable Luke Murray. Luke is a musculoskeletal and sports physiotherapist who has worked for Arsenal Football Club, London Irish Rugby Club, King's College Hospital and St. Bart's Hospital in London. Luke has since moved back to Ireland working as an online physiotherapist and trainer and is currently studying medicine at the University of Limerick. On today's episode, we dive into one of the most common injuries and pain that people suffer with, which is back pain. Luke gives us a great insight of how he works with clients and patients that are dealing with back pain, as well as his thoughts on quick fixes such as foam rolling, dry needling and chiropractors. As someone who's suffered with numerous back injuries over the years, this is exactly the episode I wish I could have listened to. I hope you enjoy. Hey Luke and welcome to the Long Story Short podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Vicky. It's great to be here. There's some big names on your podcast, so it's been uh, lovely to be asked. Yes. Look, I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while now, and you are a physio, and you really put out some great content um, around pain, injuries, um, as well, something that jumped out to me was like how to deal with injuries, because that's something, and we'll get into that further down the line, but I think it can be quite hard for people. I've gone through numerous injuries um, in the past, you know, five, six years just with training, and it definitely takes a toll, you know, mentally. Um, but before we get into that, I would love for you to tell our listeners um, who you are, what you do, and how you got into the industry. Yeah, so uh, thanks again for having me. I'm uh, Luke. I'm from Galway, and I'm based in Limerick now. I'm a physiotherapist, so I suppose the the long story is I got into the industry because of injuries myself. So when I was, like I was the teenager that was always injured, played a lot of sports, Gaelic football, uh, like your standard soccer and, and handball and things like that, a bit of basketball. But I was always injured, could never get through a season uh, without having some sort of a pain or niggle or whatever. And um, I was saw like some tons and tons of different physios and chiropractors. And uh, I spent the majority of my teenage years uh, in physio clinics with back pain and things like that. So I think what, what got me into uh, the industry was probably just the experience of injuries myself as a young fella. And actually coming from probably probably quite a negative place where I wanted to actually give help that I feel I didn't get giving an evidence-based approach to not just young fellas but like people in general and, and particularly I think the general population that might be struggling with different niggles and pains and injuries so yeah I wanted to give the give back what I didn't get basically mm-hmm. and that's what got me into sports science so I went and did for, sports science in the University of Limerick and then through that I went on and do uh, and did physiotherapy then in the University of Brighton over in in England and Basically, through that, I got very interested into strength and conditioning as well. So I spent some time in New Zealand, worked with the Chiefs Super Rugby team down there and rowing New Zealand with their Olympic teams, uh, doing a bit of strength and conditioning for them as an intern back in, Jesus, that must be 2013, 14, I think it is now. So a while ago now. And then from there, I then went on to the Masters and through the Masters then I in physio, I worked with London Irish Rugby uh, with their first team over there in England and from that I got working with Arsenal with their academies and stayed on with London Irish their academies and worked in the NHS as well so what I wanted was a mix of everything I wanted to work with um, academies with like like young sort of athletes and I wanted to also work in the NHS so I could deal with like the general population and their 
normal day-to-day things that they get and that aren't just sports injuries so did all that up until from 20 as I said there 2013 2014 up until 2021 when I came back then to Limerick to study medicine um in uh so that's where i'm based now in limerick um, and working online currently as a physio so i don't do any physio clinics in person anymore it's all online and i do all uh like rehab coaching and i suppose strength and conditioning all online as well so i'm like an online trainer and an online physiotherapist at the moment while studying so yeah it's busy and it's all go (laughs) jam-packed and you've had geez that's some experience some stuff uh on your cv there with working with some really cool like athletic clubs and teams that's that's amazing um just with what you said there about like you felt like you didn't get the level of service from physios in the past like I think correct me if I'm wrong but like physio has changed totally in the last 5 10 15 years like I remember I grew up playing tennis and just even when I was playing tennis as a young teenager so 10 12 years ago the physio workers obviously every kind of athlete you know gets injured at some stage the physio work that I would have been given then is totally different to what would be given now um and yeah I just think that's really interesting that you know and I think it's a reason why a lot of people go into the industry fitness industry because you know they've either experienced something that they felt they could fill that gap or um you know something has inspired them to to go into the industry so that's that's really cool Um, yeah like the interesting thing on that is um I sometimes feel like, yeah, physio is definitely going in the right direction. Like we're mm-hmm. definitely becoming more evidence-based where we're bridging the gap between what the science says we should be doing and what we should be doing on a day-to-day basis with people that have various injuries. Um, but I do still think the, the profession has such a long way to go. Like if I'm, if I'm walking down the street here and I went into a few different clinics across the city, I, I guarantee you they'd be doing a similar thing to what you would have had done to you as a, as a young yeah. sort of, tennis player as well because the the gap between the science and what the evidence and what we implement uh in clinical practice is like supposedly up on 17 years or so so there is still yeah like there is still a long long way for us to go and i and i do think that majority of physiotherapists are extremely well-meaning and they have you know they're 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 in the job because they like to help people majority of the time but i do think an awful lot of the practices that that physios are still incorporating right now are not evidence-based mm. there a lot of it isn't um and it's just doing what they think works or what they feel is the best thing to do but what they think works and what the best thing is to do may not be actually um evidence-based as well so there's a long way for us to go i think we're going the right direction but still a lot to do as well yeah and that's something like i didn't really kind of want to say so i'm glad you you said it but like i definitely have had so like i work with like all women and i've definitely had a lot of women come to me and say oh i went to this physio and they told me xyz and obviously i'm not a qualified physio so it's totally out of my scope but just from my own personal experience and i i know you know a couple of physios um as well in the industry like I in the back of my head I'm like oh like why is your physio telling you this like but again I can't I can't do anything so like or I can you know try my best to offer you know oh well I actually know this physio that I'd recommend because I know they have you know a good understanding and their evidence base and all that but I think like every industry it's constantly changing and I think what really you know it says a lot if you are whether it's a personal trainer nutritionist physiotherapist if you're keeping up to date with all the new evidence you're doing a good job 
as opposed to, you know, and I'm sure you see it like on Instagram and TikTok where people are just so set in their ways with this is good, this is bad. And, you know, that's where that they just have this fixed mindset. It can be quite hard to hard to deal with. Yeah, like, and this this comes back to my own experience as a, a teenager with injuries. Like, I went to, I, I've lost count of how many different physios I went to and chiropractors. And I'd imagine people listening to this now will have had similar experiences to me in that you go to, let's say, 10 different physios, you'll get 10 different explanations. And actually, you nearly come out with more problems than solutions because they've told you that, well, actually, oh, it's your foot posture that's causing your back pain. It's your twisted pelvis that's causing your back pain or it's your scoliosis your curved spine whatever you're getting loads and loads of different narratives to to explain and justify why you have pain and that in itself is really frustrating because you start to develop you start to get more confused and you develop different stories and narratives in your head about what's going on and uh that in itself complicates the whole pain and injury experience and makes the whole journey to recovery so much harder when you've had too many like chefs in the kitchen type of thing you've got too many different explanations for what's going on and then people come and see me and then they have all these explanations that and beliefs that they bring to the table after 10 or 20 years of pain and straight away my job is harder because what I would like to do is get on with rehab and get people stronger and moving better and things like that but actually I spend most of my time deconstructing their beliefs and trying to undo the beliefs that they've developed from previous uh, clinicians and things like that so again I'm not trying to badmouth other clinicians I think people are still trying to do the best that they can with the tools and skills that they have but I think we have a long way to go as physios doctors chiros personal trainers in terms of helping people with back pain in particular back pain as well so long way to go but it's a complicated journey as well for everyone that has pain absolutely yeah I can definitely relate to that when it comes to the nutrition side of things like you do get clients coming to you saying oh well I did this diet and it worked for me and I'm going well it worked for you like a lot of diets do but you know three months on from when you finish that diet you're back to where you started so it's it is hard to remove those beliefs and do it I suppose like with empathy as well because mm-hmm. you know I've been there where I have believed every single thing you know I I um threw my back out or got had a really bad back injury when I was about 17 18 and I went to my GP and he told me I was never ever going to deadlift or should never deadlift ever again yeah. and I believed that for about two or three years and didn't deadlift and I mean now I deadlift like I think my max last year was like 115 and you know it's just it's it's a funny one so I think but I, I was definitely you know I, I was under that belief that I should never deadlift and that deadlifts are bad for my back because I pulled out my back while deadlifting so I suppose speaking of backs I kind of wanted to focus this podcast on back pain because it is so common I'm sure you see this with God even off the top of your head out of 10 how many patience would you have with, with back pain oh it definitely so this is an interesting question in itself because it depends on where you work when i was working in london i worked in a, a low socioeconomic area where people were quite poor came mm. from uh backgrounds that weren't uh very or they just had to suffer with more poverty and things like that and health literacy was quite low so if i saw 15 patients in the day you're talking maybe 13 of those 12 of those could be back pain now in the population that i work with like i did a clinic yesterday online and of the 15 I saw, three had back pain. And that's because they have 
private health insurance. So chances are they probably come from a maybe a, a more a higher socioeconomic background where they have a good job and they can afford health insurance. So therefore, they can afford to see myself, but they may be more less likely to suffer with chronic back pain as well. Uh, chronic in terms of duration. Yeah, yeah. So just a little side note. But majority of the clinics that you do, like you're going to see every single day, you're going to see back pain 110%. Mm-hmm. As a, I think as a doctor in normal GP clinics, you see I, there's a, a large percentage of pain that you see is going to be back pain as well. So it's, it's rampant. It's the biggest, it's the leading cause of days missed from work in the world due to back pain. Wow. So regardless of everything else, like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, cancer, back pain is still the, re- the main reason why you would miss a day from work. So it's, it's a huge issue, massive problem. That is, that's, geez, never would have known that. That's absolutely crazy. But it is so common. And like that, I, I get, you know, women coming into the gym constantly and they've either suffered with back pain in the past or they, you know, experience it over, over time. And I suppose like, like I said, first time I hurt my back was when I was 17, 18 and I was deadlifting and it was definitely going down to a, a form uh, and, and technique issue. Um, but ever since then, I have had to be so careful with my back in a sense of I've kind of learned to you know what my limit is. And if I push too far, I could wake up the next morning and go, OK, my back is feeling a little bit twingy. So maybe I'm not going to do, you know, much hinging today or, you know, squat too heavy or whatever. But um, I think touch wood, I've kind of got a good handle of it. But that's purely through my own experience of, you know, hurting my back four or five times over the last six years. But I suppose I don't think there's going to be one answer for this. But why do people experience back pain or get back injuries? So the the experts right now in back pain wouldn't be able to answer that question. It is actually a mystery why we get back pain. We know we know multiple risk factors for back pain and we know that like there's multiple reasons why you would get it. So to go through the different reasons, like I think we have this narrative in society at the moment that um, if you get back pain, that's due to a specific reason and it's, and it's something bad. So I think as maybe marketing from uh, big companies or marketing from well-meaning clinicians or, uh, just different narratives and stories that you would hear of maybe from celebrities like some people will say that you get back pain because of your posture it's your bad posture that's caused the pain and that's a very strongly driven belief that most people um, will believe is correct then the other narrative is that oh well it's it's your weak core that's what's caused your back pain it's not so much the posture it's probably you're you're not strong enough throughout your core that's another narrative that people would be given another one would be I have heard of the like the posh, uh, sorry the um, your arches. So if you've got very uh, weak arches or fallen arches or whatever it is, that has a knock-on effect up the chain that causes your back pain. Another one is your uh, scoliosis. So like scoliosis would be a, a deviated spine where it's not a normal straight spine, but it's slightly curved uh, laterally. That would be another reason that causes pain. And then twisted hips and pelvises and things like that being out of alignment. Uh, that's what causes back pain. So there's all these different things that are uh, given as the cause for the back pain. Um, but I suppose to throw them all into the same, under the same uh, umbrella, into the same bucket, they're all nonsense. So 
we can't necessarily reduce back pain that is so complicated to a specific cause because there are multiple triggers and reasons and like uh, causes for the pain itself so yeah. you can have the perfect core the perfect posture the perfect arch strength the perfect hip alignment and you can be absolutely crippled with back pain and i've seen people that have the worst posture the weakest cords the worst i suppose lifestyles and have zero pain so yeah. it comes down to uh, multiple things and i think genetics is a big thing i think um your personality is a big thing like you've described multiple episodes of back pain and yet you've come out of it absolutely fine and you're stronger than ever and, and things are going really well and that shows a, a level of self-efficacy where you have the competence to recover yourself from pain implement strategies to cope and manage and actually flourish um, with pain and a lot of people that get pain who suffer with pain long term tend to lack self-efficacy they send they tend to lose confidence in their ability to cope with pain and then that becomes more of a personality trait and a psychological um it show, highlights the psychological aspect of things where people might be more anxious about their pain might be more prone to poor sleep might be more prone to depression or maybe more prone to um i suppose just emotional instability where they uh doubt their ability to cope with the pain and that actually drives the pain further um into a negative place where they experience more and more pain so the things that that i see that are really common for people that have back pain are they usually number one is they know they normally come with one of those beliefs that i mentioned where mm -hmm. they have the posture the core one of those things normally and then another thing that i see is a direct correlation between sleep and pain so as sleep goes down pain goes up direct correlation there um, and then you're talking about other things like what I mentioned there, the psychological distress. So if you're somebody that is prone to more anxiety, more depression, more psychological distress, as that goes up, pain goes up as well. So they, they both go in the same direction. Then the other thing would be like the self-efficacy and just your overall competence and confidence in your ability to cope. Um, that's usually pretty low in people that develop chronic back pain as well. And... Um, they would be the they would be the main things. I suppose other little things as well that people would would that should be mentioned that deserve the mention are your environment that you grow up in as well. Mm -hmm. So there's there's lots of um, experiences that I've had and that, and that people would would uh, have in the research as well. Where you know if I've had remember one patient that sticks out in my head a 16 year old that presented to the clinic with like raging back pain and uh, came in with her two parents who also had raging back pain and the the parents displayed behavior where it they just they couldn't cope with the pain they couldn't work because of the pain and that tr had a trickle down effect into their kids as well so there is that sort of genetic predisposition p potentially to the pain and the environment that you grow up in and the the sort of behaviors that you that you are surrounded by and that you replicate yourself can all contribute to somebody's experience of pain and that pain being prolonged over time. So mm -hmm. that's a very long-winded way of telling you that it's complicated, it's multifaceted, and there is no simple solution to the pain. And that's what people need to remember when they are given a very specific, simple solution to the pain to be a bit skeptical of it, because if it's overly simplified, then it's probably inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really like sound answer, and that's like, why I wanted to get you on, because you can tell like that from looking at your you know Instagram, the content you put out, 
you have a really balanced approach and I'm always like that skeptical of when I see like I was just saying physios or nutritionists or personal trainers telling you this is the problem this is the only way to solve the problem and doing it in a way that you know I think it's a way of buy-in because I can't blame people I wanted one answer for myself when I yeah. suffered with back pain and had had numerous back injuries I wanted one answer of why is this happening my form is perfect I've lightened the load why am I still experiencing this and it can be a really frustrating process and I, I empathize with every single person who comes into me and says oh no, you know, my shoulder's at me or my back is at me or whatever. Um, and because I, I get it, I understand it. But I think what you've said there, there's so much of a psychological uh, impact or, or, or feeling around back pain. And I remember like kind of first when I started looking into back pain more so as I was going through it, um, I I. I would, I had learned that, that there, there's a lot to do with, you know, like you said, you know, if you're a more anxious person, if you're not sleeping well, if you are, you know, that there's that correlation of suffering with, with more back pain, um, which is so, so interesting. Um, and how our brain and the pain that we feel are just so connected. It's yeah. Mad. Yeah. yeah, just to cut in there as well, like that's it's it is so so common, and uh, people think that that's like a, a almost a bad thing. And I think it comes back to the stigma around mental health and stuff like that. It's like mm-hmm. if you are suffering with chronic back pain, you're not broken in any way, shape, or form. You, yeah, you might be more prone to all the th- these things that I mentioned, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing that you can do about it. And actually, like sometimes a lot of my I'm not your typical physio because if somebody comes to back comes to me with back pain and I've listened to their story and they've said some of these things where they haven't been sleeping really well and they've internalized this belief because they identify as the person with the bad back. You know, I'm the friend with the bad back mm-hmm. or um, my dad told me years ago that if I have a bad back, I'll never get over that type of thing. If they've internalized these beliefs, um, I'll spend more time discussing these beliefs with them to try and deconstruct them and I might not do any exercise whatsoever. It might actually be a case of, okay, you've identified that you can't get a good night's sleep for whatever reason. We know that there is a direct link between the sleep and the pain. Let's implement some sleep strategies to try and improve the quality and quantity of your sleep so that we can try and turn the intensity down of the pain because that's ultimately what I think matters. It's not a case of let's do this specific exercise at this specific rep range and this specific sets for this this amount of, for this frequency over this period of time. Yeah, that might help to a certain degree and it might be something that uh helps somebody feel better and get better sleep and things like that but ultimately it's it's an individualized approach because there's going to be different people that have different triggers for their pain and sometimes it's a case of trying to focus on the the big rocks like sleep like lifestyle and things like that as well and just to go back to something else that you mentioned as well it's like um when you are given that narrative and you internalize it like i was told that i had a twisted pelvis that my pelvis is out of alignment and like to, to say that that was a strong belief that I have is an understatement mm-hmm. because they showed me an x-ray of my hips being out of alignment and they showed me um uh, like in the mirror they'd be like look at your alignment in the mirror like it's it's all over the place so I was a 14 year old being told this and I didn't care what they were telling me I was just like okay twisted pelvis back looks out of position that needs sorting and I will do anything that's required to get that sorted. I had that belief until I was about 19, 20. So I was like, well, I can't play a sport because my my back still looks out of alignment. 
So the, the, the direct consequence of being told that there was a structural problem, I internalized that. And regardless of how I felt, if I could see there was a problem there, that meant that I wasn't ready to go back and play the sport that I loved, that I, I identified as a footballer. I couldn't do the thing that I identified with because of the pain. I then became probably more depressed, became more frustrated because I couldn't do the things that I love to do. And that then fed into the pain more and more. So the clinician that was well-meaning planted something in there that actually made the outcome worse than what it could have been if I had met somebody that said, maybe don't focus too much on the hips out of alignment. Actually, nobody's hips are perfectly aligned. Nobody is symmetrical. Everyone is out of alignment to a certain degree. And actually that matters nothing to your pain. If somebody had gave me that narrative, it probably wouldn't have prolonged the suffering that came with the pain for such a long period of time as well. So I can empathize a lot with people when they come to me or or like yourself talking about your clients that you have when they've had pain for a long time and uh, they've internalized it and it just becomes an absolute mess when they try yeah. and sort it out. Yeah, it, it, it's a tricky one. And like you said, you know, these clinicians are, they're trying to do a, a good job because I mean, why else would they be in the job that they're in? Mm. But sometimes, and from my experience and I don't like that one, a bad mouth, anyway but like it can be damaging because you just have that in your head and it's 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 harder to reverse something than you know it is to plant the the seed of the info which is yeah completely like language language is important and mm -hmm. the more research that we have now in, in physio in particular shows that it's just constantly highlighting how important it is that the language that we use and not contributing to this sort of vulnerability and fragility mindset that people might present with when they have pain because that's that's most of the time what people come to me and say they're like oh the the orthopedic doctor like the surgeon told me that my my discs were going to crumble or my spine was going to crumble if i deadlift again or i I can't go for a jog anymore because of the effect that that will have on my back and my, my knees and it'll wear out my discs and things like that. And like, you're, oh, my discs are all going to slip. It's like, if I was told all these things, I'd have the same yeah. response. I'd be like, oh my God, that just sounds so terrifying. So um, trying to promote a different uh, language and use different advice and education around these things is vital for people. Yeah, so is that what you do? Like when a patient comes to you and says look I've been told xyz what is there a first step that you take to try and remove that thought process from them and I suppose what do you do to kind of get them to build that trust with you yeah that's, that's a tricky one like there is no set sort of recipe that I follow I suppose and there's no set protocol but I think you sort of um, uh, mentioned it earlier on as well as is like I do try and develop a rapport with somebody mm -hmm. so that they trust me um, to the best of, of my ability anyway like I will spend most of my time listening to people um, reflecting back to them what they've said to me um, so that they hear what so that they know that I hear them as well because mm -hmm. a lot of people when they're coming to you with pain and, and they're vulnerable and things like that they're frustrated and they feel like they're not being listened to and people are saying that it's all in your head and things like that so that becomes more and more frustrating so it's important that they feel heard and building that empathy with them and having a compassionate approach is vital as a first step and then from there I think a lot of it is trying to very gently um, challenge some of their beliefs around their pain and trying to show them examples of where 
their belief in the pain doesn't necessarily add up and uh, just trying to actually plant an element of doubt in their very strongly held beliefs um, about say the weak core or the posture being the cause of the pain and then once you've sort of discussed some of those things and you've you've got an element of trust that they are willing to try out some things that's when then I'll try to incorporate some of the strategies like um, mindful movement and stuff like that so for example let's say you come to me and you say I've I just can't bend over to put my shoes on anymore or tie my shoelaces because every time I do that my back goes Mm -hmm. so then what I'll do is I'll try and gently get them to bend in a safe and comfortable way get them to be mindful of the discomfort not avoid the discomfort actually maybe accept the discomfort and view the discomfort through a different lens and then gradually push the boundaries so it's very much I suppose a graded exposure to the the exact thing that they're fearful of doing like say if you're somebody with i don't know public speaking anxiety you go to a psychologist they're probably going to do graded exposure they're going to get you to do the thing that you're most fearful of doing um in a very small uh chunks and build you up more and more towards the most fearful thing which might be speaking in front of a lot of people live so physio approach for pain actually is a very similar approach right now it's a very much graded gradual uh, exposure to the thing that you're most fearful of doing and you're teach you're basically telling your nervous system hey there's nothing to fear here we've learned that bending is is painful and we may have internalized that therefore because it's painful bending is bad and uh, what i'll try and do is is try and reduce that threat response that people get because that's what it is at the end of the day it's very much a case of you you like i use the car analogy with people so when i'm trying to explain some of these things like if you walk if you brush by a car and you uh you just you're walking by you brush by the car and the alarm goes off that that's a very sensitive threat response from the car the car thinks you might be trying to break into it so there's a big massive response so then when you go and bend over to put on your shoes in the morning time your your nervous system is giving you a big response loads and loads of pain it's telling you hey this i don't like this movement this is painful this is bad don't bend it's you're going to blow out your back again so then what you're trying to do is just create that sort of link between this isn't a structural or a bad thing this is just an oversensitive reaction to a movement that your back dislikes so then we can try and gradually turn down that threat response um, from the nervous system and get you moving in a way that's a bit more comfortable and will you ever be pain-free that's very dependent on the person and it's very hard for anyone to predict that somebody will always be pain-free what you can do is get them moving in a way where they may have the pain but they're not suffering with the pain so I'm I, like for myself personally, I would have had that as well as a 14 year old, 15 year old. I couldn't do certain things because of the intensity of the pain that I had. And I thought that I was going to do something bad if I did move in a certain way. And actually, it was more about trying to like now I could bend over and I could do whatever I want to do. I might still have a bit of discomfort there, but I don't associate that discomfort with a bad outcome. So yeah. that yeah. in itself, tra- changing your cognitions, changing how you think and respond to the pain is more important than anything else so that you're changing your relationship to the pain. So yeah. uh, like, again, it's, that's a very difficult thing to do and that can take years for some people and you need to be ready in the same way that you want to be ready to change your behavior. If you're a client that's looking to lose weight or whatever, mm-hmm. you need to be ready to actually engage in the act of trying to improve your pain and some people aren't ready even when they think they are that's the difficult thing with it so um an acceptance-based approach a self-compassionate approach because that's what that's another thing that i try and promote with people like people are very self-critical of themselves and they have pain like let's say if my 
if I have pain and I don't know any of this stuff and I'm looking on social media and things like that, you're almost led to believe that it's your fault that you have pain and that you actually need to, you need to do certain things or else you're not doing enough. So, well, you haven't done enough core work, so no, why you can't complain about your back pain. You haven't been doing enough. You haven't been doing enough sitting up straight all day in the office. So it's, it's all this sort of like blame and shame type of stuff where you haven't been doing enough for your pain. So why would you expect to have a different outcome? When actually, if your best friend came to you and said, I'm suffering with a lot of back pain, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't berate them with shame and blame. You'd probably say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, that's really difficult. What can we do? Can we chat about it? Can we do something that can help you? How can we ease your suffering? And if you flip that on its head and you internalize that and you treat yourself as if you are the best friend in relation to the pain, then you're cutting yourself a bit more slack and you're making the whole process that bit easier instead of berating yourself. And obviously that's something that people would have heard in terms of maybe psychological techniques if they're suffering with anxiety or depression, things like that. It's all very relevant to suffering with pain. So it's, I don't know if it really answers your question, but it's complicated and it's very individual to what the person presents with. And it's, yeah, it's tricky. But, But I think that's a really good answer is there's no one set answer. And like I was saying earlier, like I always wanted an answer, like why is this happening? What can I do to fix it? But yeah, it's, I think when we then, and it, it, that, that's just another example how it's so, it, it's really just a lot of psychological stuff in terms of, you know, accepting where you're at right now and having that positive mindset to say, right, well, what are the things that I can do? And what are the things that I can do, you know, to work around my pain, but also to benefit my pain? And I suppose it probably, I can imagine, depends on the client, on the scenario. But when it comes to, like, I might get a a message from a client saying, can't come into the gym today. I have, you know, I was moving, you know, boxes or moving things and I'm actually throwing out my back. I'm, you know, in bits, not able to do anything. Obviously, I'm going to respect that and that person's in pain and that's fine. But I think then sometimes what I've seen with people is that can kind of prolong that, you know what, my pain's not a, you know, nine or 10 out of 10 anymore, but I'm still feeling it. I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to, you know, like just not move, not do anything. And again, obviously I'm not a physio, but from my experience, what, of my own injuries what I've learned is that no movement not great either too much movement obviously not great um but and it, this is again another question I probably won't have an exact answer but if 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 you can incorporate some movement would that be a good thing if you can get in and you know do some upper body weight or as opposed to you know deadlifting and hinging or any of that would that be something that you would probably suggest and again I know it's going to totally depend on the person their pain level how they did it etc but what are your kind of thoughts on that yeah i can probably give you a more clear answer for this one anyway which people i'm sure will be delighted with so um general exercise is going to trump everything else Mm -hmm. so and and the i suppose the side plot to that is the more you enjoy the specific exercise that you do the more likely that's the one that you should do Mm -hmm. so as an example like let's say right now i so i'm i've just come back from new york bit jet lagged, haven't uh, like had a few drinks at a wedding and stuff like that. So anytime I drink, I get a, a bit of a flare up in my back pain. Um, so again, nothing to do with, nothing to do with core strength, nothing to do with posture and like that, just probably a bit rundown. Haven't slept very well. And you, it, there's a very strong link between the immune system now as well and pain. So every time you get like a flu or a cold, you might get a flare up of previous pains that you would have had in the past because pain has a memory. So um, 
you can you can get pain for um, multiple reasons. And uh, wait, what was your question again? When people are under this belief that they shouldn't do anything and shouldn't move. Oh yeah. And I I try to encourage people to you know still come into the gym and provided they're not in any severe pain to you know maybe do some upper body like adjust or modify as opposed to solely focusing on lower body. Is that something that is probably going to be more beneficial than sitting or lying in bed doing nothing to save your back pain? Yeah, ex- yeah, sound okay. I know, I know where I was going with that. Um, so yeah, I, as I was saying, I um, jet lagged, came back from America, haven't slept very well, had drinks and stuff like that. So that causes me a flare up of my back pain. Now there's a few different approaches you could take to that. One approach is do nothing and rest and wait for your back to get better. Um, but you might be waiting a long time because the longer you rest and the longer you wait, the more likely it's it's going to just take a longer time to desensitize that pain. Um, the One of the key things that works for me and one of the key things that the research says is that doing, a, doing something is better than nothing. So um, picking something that you actually enjoy doing is going to be vital for reducing and turning down the intensity of that pain. So let's say you've got raging back pain and you don't want to deadlift and that's absolutely okay you don't need to deadlift you don't need to squat you don't need to do anything like that but what can you do that would be useful to help you move and make you feel better that might literally be going in and doing an upper body session for a half an hour and that in itself that general exercise that you chose that you displayed some level of self-efficacy with that you were comfortable to do and that you had autonomy over that wasn't forced on you that you chose yourself that's probably going to have the best outcome for your pain um so it comes back to the evidence around what should you do when you have back pain and there is no one best thing that you should do so you don't need to go and do pilates you don't need to go and do yoga you don't need to go and do a core strengthening session you don't need to go and do whatever just do something that you enjoy that you can do as well so it doesn't need to be back specific exercise it can be for some people going for a walk for some people, it can be going for a jog. And the general exercise has a pain-relieving effect. So we know that um, exercise in general, for most people, is the equivalent of like taking a paracetamol. It can release the analgesic effects within your brain that dampen the pain response. So it, it doesn't really matter what you do, but doing something is, is absolutely essential when you do have pain. Now, there's a time and place. So like, let's say you've got sciatica. <clears throat> and you've got a new onset of sciatica where like for people that don't know sciatica pain down the back of the leg pain in the leg is worse than pain in the back um sometimes it may be appropriate to just do nothing and let that thing settle down until you actually feel capable of moving because that's how bad it can be where people can't move with sciatica so let it calm down and then get moving when you feel ready but that's a very small amount of a small minority of people with sciatica that that have to rest like that and it's not prolonged rest it's not viewing rest as a a week or two week as a three week thing it's a 24 48 hour thing let it settle down and then gradually get going again so choose what you like and do as much of it as you feel able to do and it doesn't need to be back specific to improve your back pain yeah that's really interesting i think it takes the pressure off a lot of people feeling like like you said, they need to, you know, go into the gym and still deadlift or do a bunch of core exercises. Or then from what I've, you know, heard from clients, they, they panic, they don't know what to do, so they just do nothing. And yeah. that's not great either like that, unless it's a, you know, severe bout of sciatica or, or whatever. But 
yeah I think that's that's really like reassuring for people that you know do some type of movement that you know is not going to aggravate it not going to and that you enjoy as well and I always get asked the question of what's the best exercise or type of exercise and I'm like the one you enjoy and Mm. you know as much as I believe everybody should the majority of people should be in the gym lifting weights to some extent you know if somebody prefers swimming or running like that's also going to be probably more beneficial if they absolutely hate lifting weights so yeah I think that's that's very interesting um, I feel like I know your answer to this, but just put one for the listeners. Um, I would love to know your thoughts on quick fixes, such as dry needling, sports massages, foam rolling. Do they fix the problem? I'd imagine everyone listening now at this stage will know my answer to this. <laughs> um, I think, like, obviously, people that will be listening to your podcast will be, I'd say, well-versed in the nutrition side of things and the fitness side of things. So I suppose the best equivalent is like the quick fix from a pain point of view is the equivalent to the fad diet in the nutritional world. Um, it's very normal to look for the quick fix. We all want it. It's the it's the easy explanation and the easy solution. And it, there's nothing wrong with, with wanting it. Um, but it doesn't exist. There is no quick fix for back pain, knee pain, whatever your pain is. Um, now, when we get into the nitty gritty of it, so... With sports massage, it can feel really nice um, temporarily, which might give you that temporary relief to your pain because you were lying down, you were relaxing, and somebody was massaging you, and it feels great. So then that gives you, that just turns the volume down temporarily. But by the time you drive home or the next morning when you wake up, chances are that pain is going to revert back to what it was pre-massage. So if you've got pain for 20 years, it's a very short-term solution to what is a long-term problem. So therefore, you you might supplement your your life with little bits and, and things like that to calm it down, which I think is okay, but I don't think it's the solution to the, to the problem. So we need to then weigh up, well, some, can you afford it? Is it financially something that you can do? And is it financially something that you're happy to do knowing that what it's doing is probably a placebo and nothing else? It's not... Mm-hmm realigning things it's not draining the muscles of certain lactic acid and other chemicals it is largely a placebo that is making you feel good temporarily are you happy to do it knowing that that's all it does and i think um if people are saying yes to those they're happy to spend the money on it they don't care if it's placebo and they don't need to do it every single day they might go and do it every few weeks every few months every few years fair enough I think that's that's up to you if you want to make that decision. And that's a stance I've only taken recently. I used to be the, of the opinion that absolute waste of time, don't go near it. But I actually think we need to be realistic as well that some people enjoy it and some people like it. And it might be the window that people need to get through a small bout of pain. So I'll never offer it as an option myself. I, I won't do it myself. I don't do dry needle. I don't do any of that. Um but I would, if somebody said that they really loved it, I'm not going to stop somebody from doing it, but I, I wouldn't be huge on recommending it. Now, dry needling <clears throat> and acupuncture and things like that, I'm going to say the same thing about that as well. Um, I, I wouldn't be promoting it. There is no evidence to show that it's long-term a good solution for pain. It's maybe a short-term solution again, but it's not doing anything fancy. It's not, it's not undoing knots in the back. It's not doing anything that's any more than a placebo again so if it helps you fine but we just need to be realistic and we need to be accurate about what it is 
and what it's doing. Foam rolling, again, another thing that's, I suppose, foam rolling is one that is always promoted by people to do more of. But there is zero evidence that it can improve your posture, your pain, reduce injuries, um, improve your athletic abilities. Do you know, there's lots and lots of promotion of, of foam rolling. But if you, let's say you're doing 20 minutes of foam rolling and you're doing from your neck down to your calves, by the time you've got to your calves, you've lost any effect that you had at your neck. So it's that short term. You might get a quick change or perception in terms of how something feels that might then allow you to get a better squat session in or deadlift session in it. That's absolutely yeah. fine. It might just very temporarily change your perception of how something feels, which therefore results in you getting a better session in. That's absolutely fine. But what it's not doing again is it's not realigning stuff. It's not putting things back into place. It's not doing anything beyond just changing your perception of how tissues feel. And I suppose the main benefit of it is it's providing you with the same, probably the same effect that a sports massage is going to give you, but it costs maybe 10 euro or 15 euro to buy a foam roller as opposed to 45, 50, 65 euro for a sports massage. So somebody want to, if somebody want to use these little tools that are really cheap and they like them, that's absolutely fine. But I always think we need to be honest with ourselves, accurate about what it's doing and realistic as well, because people that oversell these things and overpromote these things have made millions and millions off of people that are in pain and vulnerable and people have forked out tons and tons of money for these things, sold promises that don't exist, um, sold these solutions for problems that aren't real and are left with lots and lots of pain and disheartened and just frankly pissed off because of how much time they've invested in these things that don't do a huge amount. So just being um, evidence-based and accurate with it, I think is important. Yeah, yeah. And that is unfortunate when like that people have spent hundreds on, you know, going to get sports massages. And I love a sports massage. Like that's something Mm -hmm. that I think I love every, you know, two, three months um, probably don't do it that often but I would love you know sports massage every two or three months because it does make me feel good but in the back of my mind I'm aware that you know it's not doing anything it's not I, I suppose would the same apply for stretching people are like really obsessed with stretching yeah it, it definitely does like there are some people who get worse with stretching in terms of their pain and there are some people that get more pain after after massage as well yeah. um, but again it, it's not anything it's nothing special. Um, yeah, you can improve your flexibility when you do loads of stretching, but that doesn't mean you're going to improve your pain. You can be extremely flexible and extremely mobile and have more pain than the least stretchy person in the room or the least mobile person. You know, you can be, it comes back to the same thing about the core strength. You can be extremely strong through your core and have raging back pain. You can be extremely flexible and do all the stretching and have really pain, really bad pain as well. So if it's something that somebody enjoys, like if somebody in the evening time is, is struggling to wind down from work and they struggle with stress and, and they just are more sort of uh, more aroused or heightened sense of, of arousal in the evening time and they can't sleep because of that, I'd be saying maybe do a small bit of yoga if that's something that you've enjoyed in the past. Maybe experiment with some wind down, like whatever relaxation stuff, listen to an interesting podcast, do some stretching. And if that gets you a better night's sleep, then that's an excellent benefit to get from stretching. But it's not probably going to change your pain in the long term a huge amount. It's just another tool that can be employed if you find it useful for you. But that's, to be honest, few and far between that I use it with. Yeah, yeah. Another another interesting one. Like, I personally don't provide like stretching at the end of sessions, but 
you always get the question of, do we not stretch? Yeah, and, it needs you to cool down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's a bit of an old school thing, but um, yeah, really, really sound like information there that hopefully is going to change, you know, people's perspective on pain. And I think one thing that you definitely, you know, highlighted was that people aren't we're not broken and I had that in my head for years I thought I'm broken I have to modify my sessions and you do get into that cycle of I'm crap I can't do anything and it just it it is a vicious cycle that is really difficult to get out of but I think when you can change your mindset around pain and you know focus on what I can do what do I enjoy you know instead of what I can't do um it it you know just you see it in a totally different in different light yeah Um, and i I think like knowing all this stuff is useful but it's not mm -hmm. curative either so like it's 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 it is a need to know in my opinion but it's not the be all and end all so if all you did was talk to somebody about pain you can't expect them to have that reduction massive reduction in the intensity of the pain it is required for the long-term coping and management of pain but it's also about knowing that yeah like are you ever if you go to the doctor and you ask the doctor am i ever going to have a cold again the doctor can't say yes or no chances are you probably will but they can't say no because they'd be lying to you if you go to the physio and you say will i ever have pain again people like people really want you to say no because there's so much suffering associated with pain but they can't just Mm -hmm. can't and pain is part of the human experience like it's it's as as some days we have bad days we have good days and bad days we have days where we're more anxious more depressed you're going to have days where you have more pain and you're going to have days where the pain makes no sense, where you had a flare-up in your pain for no reason whatsoever. You've done everything right and you still have pain. And accepting that is absolutely fundamental to managing the pain, that you don't let that get to you. Because when you let it get to you and you start to let it spiral out of control, that's when people get more pissed off, more frustrated, more angry, and then more pain. So actually just accepting that you're going to have bad days and that if you have a training day and you are supposed to do deadlifts that day and you can't because you're in so much pain yeah it's crap and it's not great but you can do something else and you could swap the deadlifts out for something else it doesn't mean that you like throw the baby out with the bath water and you stop training altogether you find something else that you can do and then once your pain intensity has settled back down you've turned the dial down on the pain then you try and get into your deadlifts again be that one two three or a days down the road or a week down the road as well yeah i think it's a really positive way to look at it and you do get people though that are quite all or nothing and mm. throw the baby out with the bath water and well if I can't do it the right way then what's the point of even doing it at all and that was me again you know a few years ago whereas now it's like any bit of movement if I was in pain or injured is like I'm delighted I can do this do you know and um, so you you briefly mentioned um, and just want to conscious of time but you briefly mentioned sleep has you know correlation in terms of pain um and uh anti-inflammatory um uh like being uh with our body not in a inflammatory state um what are your thoughts on like how much nutrition would play a role in injuries because we know like we've got anti-inflammatory foods is there you know a link there with pain um at all from what you've researcher learned uh no so like in terms of specific foods that will help to reduce pain intensity and and pain experience no there there is nothing beyond what would be recommended as part of a normal healthy diet so um i don't think there's any strong evidence to say yes you should be having this type of food all the time but i think it comes back to the the quality of the diet 
and that being a reflection of the quality of the lifestyle that somebody has as well um being important for somebody's pain like if 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 you look at people from say um like poorer areas they're probably more likely to have poor eating habits Mm -hmm. because they'll go for the cheaper option they might go for the option that's less micronutrient dense they might go for the more processed option the more calorically dense option because that's what they grew up eating and that's all that they know and then they may be somebody that's more likely to experience pain that's not directly related to the food but it's a it's a it's i suppose related to their overall lifestyle and their environment that they're in so then if you can improve somebody's activity levels their sleep and as part of that improve their eating habits and their behaviors and the quality of their diet that might be something that's useful in trying to improve how they feel about themselves and therefore how they feel about the pain as well so no direct um, relationship between any specific food type and pain it would be where I'd stand on that at the moment unless somebody is aware of uh, evidence that I'm not aware of mm-hmm. interesting really interesting well that was amazing so much info there and I just think well I'm hoping people will come away from this thinking you know okay the pain that I'm dealing with now or the injuries that I have had in the past or I'm going through it's not the end of the world and I like that again I keep repeating it but like you can do things and you're not broken and yeah that you know it's a it's a common thing for a lot of people and that it will you will get there um and you know it's not like I said the end of the world so thank you so much for all of that info and your your approach to it is super sound and balanced and which I really like it's great yeah, it's been great to be on. Um, I hope there was something that was of use to people anyway. And like I know, I know this isn't a very um, traditional approach to pain that people might be uh, familiar with. But if anyone isn't, uh, if, if, if I said something that wasn't clear or if I said something that didn't make sense or if I did say something that was relevant or resonated with somebody listening, I'd love if they reached out and just had a chat and asked me questions about it because I, I appreciate it's complicated. And when I say stuff like the anticipation of, of pain is enough to experience pain, that sounds probably daft to a lot of people. So um, I'm all for just chatting through these things with people um, so that I can try and help them make sense of it as well. Brilliant. And that kind of leads me on to one of my last questions. But where can people find you, be it socials, website? Uh, where are you? Um, yeah, so I've got my website, which I don't do a huge amount on at the moment because life gets in the way. But that's lukemurrayphysio.com. Uh, they can find me. I'm most active on Instagram, I suppose. That's Luke underscore Irish underscore physio. Uh, so they can come and, and chat away to me there if they want. Brilliant. Brilliant. And before we wrap up, I do have three rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Um, these are actually really simple, but every time I say that, people stall and they go, oh my God, what? I don't know what to say. Um, so question number one, what is your favorite breakfast? <laughs> Jeez, that's a hard one. It is actually. Um, a hard um, one. struggles. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm just back from New York, and I've been living on uh, bacon and cream cheese bagels. So I'm just going to throw yeah. that out there. That is, I love that right now. Did you go to um, Cat's Deli? No, but that rings a bell. Yeah, it's it's super popular. It's more like there is I is oh, is it bagels that they there definitely is a bagel place obviously there's loads in new york but there's one bagel place that stood out to me i can't remember the name of it but cat's deli is like a proper like new york deli it's amazing is that do you yeah. know where that is is that like manhattan or 
Yeah, I think it's Manhattan. I'm sure somebody will listen to this. I, I haven't been in New York for years, but I know I've been to Cat's Deli. It's so good. So, so good. I think it's, I want to say it's Manhattan, but um, they might have a couple as well. I'm not 100% sure, uh, but really, really good. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Not not a very Irish option. Porridge, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> no, they're, they're only fooling themselves, really, aren't they? Come yeah. on. Exactly. Um, okay, favorite music artist. Oh, God. Freddie Mercury. Ah, uh, like that. Yeah. Um, favorite book? Oh. No, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, favorite book? Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Um, let's say, uh, let's say, and Andre Agassi, open. Oh, really interesting. I yeah. actually, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible tennis player. I've never read that. Oh God! Um, I, know, I have to. I have to read because I, I, I actually, I lived in Florida and I went to that school. That's now it was nowhere like Nick Bollettieri's tennis. It, a company bought it and it actually became way better. But um, wow. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I could relate to a few things uh, in the book. But that's interesting. I'm going away next week, so I think that's could be the book. Oh, couldn't recommend it enough. It was one of the first sort of sport autobiographies that I read and I was hooked I read it years ago and I was like this is yeah. class so I was like not even I've never played tennis in my life but I absolutely love it and I loved his book so I, I can imagine you love it as well yeah yeah I I've oh, I've heard so many people say it's brilliant I think my mum read it a few years ago um but yeah he's just he's I don't think there's you know there's obviously Federer but like I don't think hmm. there's ever going to be anyone like him Legend. um but yeah, cool. Okay, that's definitely going to go get that book now. Um, brilliant. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was really great chatting to you. And like I said, our listeners are going to find this incredibly useful. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. All the best. Thanks. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Luke and took plenty of helpful tips from it because I know I did. If you found it useful, I would love for you to share it with your friends, family, or anyone else you think might find it useful as this really helps in growing the podcast. For more info, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Vicky Cornick, as well as my gym page at victory underscore fitness underscore IE. This is where you can also check out our 28 day trial that we run for half price. And lastly, if you're wanting to get updates for future episodes, which include some incredible guests, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.